Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Good morning and welcome to episode 83 of the Jaguar Report podcast. My name is Gus Logue, joined as always by my co-host John Shipley. John, the Jags are 1-0 in their last game. They, they've successfully stacked a win, a little Peterson coach speak for you. Um, and now the playoffs are, I mean, the, the, their goals have been in front of them the whole season, as Peterson would tell you. But it, it, feels that, it feels a little bit different this week coming off a win, doesn't it? Oh, it, it definitely does. And I've gotten a ton of replies, like people saying it's just the Panthers, it's just the Panthers, et cetera. And I understand that. But I don't think anybody is saying that all the Jaguars' problems are fixed because they beat a horrible Panthers team that is bad on the field, bad off the field. With Davis Tepper had their best throw today, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the most accurate one, at least. Right. Nobody is saying that all their problems are fixed. I, I'm, I'm, Thought Doug hit the nail on the head yesterday where he said, we just, this was Doug Peterson yesterday. He was like, it's what we needed. We need something to go right for us. And it did. And that's literally why winning was important. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter if they win against the Panthers, if they win against the Oak Leaf Junior High Yellow Jackets. It doesn't matter. Like They just needed things to stop going terrible for them, which they finally did, and you know the Carolina Panthers. David Tepper, Bryce Young was exactly uh, what the doctor ordered for the Jaguars. They evidently cure all ailments, unless you're the Atlanta Falcons or Joe Barry. So they needed they needed that one. It, like it doesn't matter who it was against, they needed that one. I was gonna say, like I think the Joe Barry argument is kind of settled now, and arguably the Mike Caldwell one is like a well coordinated team is going to make Bryce Young, Bryce Young look like what he looks like on Sunday. But, yeah, winning fixes everything. Definitely the vibes are, no matter how you do it, no matter who's behind center, if you win, the vibes are all around a lot better. And so I think they definitely did need that win just to kind of, like, get some weight off of their shoulders and play a little bit more stress-free. Uh, Josh Allen was talking after the game about how he was, like, thinking a little bit too much about the single-season sack record. And then, and that's how what he shouldn't have done, and he should have been playing free. And he kept repeating the word free, which I thought was a 
good quote. And like, I mean, that's just football in general, where you got to play fast and play with their instincts rather than thinking too much. Like I feel like the best example of that is Devin Lloyd's rookie season. So they were, they played free. They played fast. They played the Carolina Panthers and came out with a win. It, Josh Allen said after the game that he thought it was by far the best week of prep that they've had. And mm. the responses to it, it, it made me laugh. Like one person was like, what the hell were you guys doing the rest of the season? And two, <laughs> it was like, was it the best week of prep that you had? Or was it specifically because you prepped for the Carolina Panthers that it just looks like it? But, you know, for whatever reason, I'll, Trevor Lawrence doesn't practice. The Jags have the best week of practice of the season. You tell me, you know, mm. you Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Makes makes you wonder, doesn't it? <laughs> it makes a man think, that's for sure. S- simply, simply don't turn the ball over and take sacks and play the Carolina Panthers and the offense looks better. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll start off with the offense. G- Gus, it felt like a lot of people were victory lapping, at least at least in my mentions about Beth, C.J. Beathard's game. I, I, I want to make a few things clear in just my stance. C.J. Beathard – and the offense did better than I thought they would. Even against a really bad Panthers team, I didn't think they had 26 points in them just because the state of the offensive line, they're already missing Christian Kirk and Zay Jones going into the game. Then they lost Jamal Agnew pretty early. The running game has been bad. The running game was still bad on Sunday, and they just had a, what, 62-yard <laughs> touchdown run kind of uh, skew things. and Right. So – I think Beathard did better than I thought he would, but I also don't think anybody saying this is the formula they need to follow for Trevor, et cetera, is right. They were playing the worst team in the league, man. The, right. The Panthers had seven first downs. I, I could I could manage a game if the opposing <laughs> offense is getting seven first downs, realistically. Like, Am I wrong for thinking that? No. I mean, the Jags did what they were supposed to do, but I was thinking the exact same thing, where like they're, we're, like, they're about to get to the playoffs – and really this week 18 game in Tennessee is essentially a playoff game for the Jaguars. And like, it was good that they did what they needed to do to get a win against an inferior opponent, but that's not going to work against non-inferior opponents when you're playing against teams that are as good or better than you in the postseason. It's definitely, you're going to have to let it rip a little bit more for sure. So that's why Trevor coming back is obviously a necessity. Exactly. And like, you know, from Sports Info Solutions, uh, the intended air yards that the Jaguars had on Sunday. So this is like legitimately just as far as the ball traveled when Bethard threw it, whether it was a completion, incompletion, whatever, ranked 17th out of 17 Jaguars quarterback performances this year at 137. So like the, other than the one throw to Jamal Agnew, like the well-designed play action shot, they literally were not trying to push the ball downfield at all. He completed two passes over 10 yards. I think they attempted six passes over 10 yards. I think they could have so four by my measurements. Like, it, it was very Four to six, so call it five. Yeah, let's call it five. <laughs> like, it, it was very clear that their entire game plan was don't turn the ball over and shoot yourself in the foot. And we should, you know, the wind should come. And it's easier not to turn the ball over when, you know, you're not slinging the ball downfield. Like, for context, Trevor Lawrence's uh, last couple games, his three-pick game against the Browns, he had 471 intended air yards. 
uh, against the Bucks. He had 302 intended air yards against the Ravens, 383, Bengals, 348. Like their four highest intended air yard games were their four losses, like that four game losing streak. And that's because they were having to, you know, air it out. They were having to try to take deep shots downfield to get back into these games. But when you play a team with an inept offense, you don't have to do that. You can play small ball. You can bunt. You can hit sit, like infield <laughs> singles, which is, which is what they did. You know, so I credit Bethard for that. Like he he had a very backup quarterbacky game, which you know I give him credit for executing that game plan. The Jaguars' offensive staff obviously came with a good game plan. the The other thing I will say, it's been funny. Like the one thing I think you can say he did better than Lawrence was it's such a backhanded compliment. He is better at getting sacked and not fumbling the ball than Lawrence is. So I'll give him that. He's better at getting sacked. Than Lawrence is. <laughs> I've had several people like like you know that that's been their biggest takeaway is oh he's not turning the ball over when he's getting sacked. Well, the difference with Beathard and Lawrence is Beathard. It's so much easier to sack him. You know, like. You're also it's so much easier to force a turnover when a guy knows he can keep a play alive and potentially make a play. Right. If you wanted if you want Lawrence to play like Bethard, yeah, that probably takes away a lot of turnovers. How many touchdowns does that take away from them this year? How many big plays, you know, does that take away from them this year? The Falcons game, that touchdown to Ridley. Right. If he was CJ yeah, Bethard. Yeah. Exactly. If he was CJ Bethard, that's a sack. So it's a double edged sword. Live by the sword, die by the sword. But I thought Bethard played his part well, but I think the biggest factor in this game was that the Panthers are just that bad. And the Panthers offense is so bad that like what the game was nine to zero at halftime, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a good point that like the Panthers offense being bad actually like helped the Jags offense because I mean the Panthers had a pretty long opening drive, but the Jags were really in a positive game script for the whole time. The Panthers also punted, or they had six straight three and outs, which is ridiculous. I don't really know like how to look that up, but I can. I imagine that's only happened a small handful of times this season, if at all, for like any NFL team. And so Carolina's defense was on the field a lot, and they were playing from behind a lot. And so CJ really just had to not turn the ball over and hit a couple of throws. There was a few throws that like you could tell he was really trying to get the completion and nothing more. On, like on the first drive, there was a like quick game concept and an out route to Agnew for like seven or ten yards or something, and Agnew had to really come back for it and basically like drag his toes on the sidelines. Even though, even honestly, if it was like a perfectly placed ball, Agnew might have been able to catch it and turn up field a little bit. But then even on like the really big play to Agnew, I like some people were saying it was the best deep throw by any Jags quarterback all season, which is crazy because. Lawrence hit a deep shot to Agnew literally three weeks ago, and he scored against the Ravens. And Agnew didn't score. Not only did he not score, but he injured himself because Beathard's throw to him on Sunday was so underthrown. And for the point being that, like, CJ was really just trying to get the completion and kind of move the sticks. But, like, he, he kind of knew what his job was, and he did his job well. And, like, it goes back to the same thing with the sacks. Like, he knows his job is, like, not to, like, make a play and put the team on his back, but to just, like – not hinder the team at all. And it's kind of the opposite of for Lawrence where like he feels like he needs to put the team on his back at times. And so that is the biggest thing leading to all of like these fumbles and turnovers. So yeah, I also would give 
I mean, I was going to say credit. I don't think the Jags coaching staff really deserves credit for sticking to the run game when they were winning the entire ball game. But, like, you saw the benefits of sticking to the run game even when it doesn't happen because I feel like the Jags had, like, pretty much unsuccessful runs on every single attempt except for the Travis Etienne 62-yard touchdown. But, like, you got to keep running the ball to, like, give Travis Etienne a chance to make a play like that. You can't just, like, run him five times and gain seven yards and then shelf him for the rest of the game. Like, you got to put put – continue to put the ball into a player like his hands. And so it was nice to see that happen, even though similar to Bethard, like it was just what should have happened. Yeah, no, I I thought that was a great example, like you said, of sticking to the running game. Like eventually something's going to break. Right. You know, like one way or another. And I, I think we both predicted leading up to the game that they would have trouble running at some. Like Derek Brown. Before Cam Robinson threw his helmet into the bud zone, I mean, <laughs> Derek Brown was all over the place, dude. Yeah, he 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 was absolutely phenomenal. But like you said, you know, you saw the advantage of what happens when you actually stick the run game. Etn had 16 carries. Tink Bigsby had 10, which is a career high. He played a career high in snaps. I believe it was a career high in rushing yardage. <laughs> 10 carries for 32 yards. I, I I do think that his numbers get dinged a little bit by some clearly poor blocking on a couple plays where he lost like three yards, I think on two different occasions. So his numbers look a little bit better than that. He had a career long 12 yard carry. It obviously wasn't any game that I think you can say, Oh, they figured out. Yeah, I know. Career long 12 yard carry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. The way you snuck that in got me. That was really good. I wasn't trying to be sarcastic. It, it, it was a good hell. I know. I know. But like, like you trying not to be sarcastic is like what made it so good. It's because like it was already gonna be funny, and then you not trying to make it funny made it funnier. Anyway, the, okay, the bulky ball of the week does strange have a catch longer than twelve yards because there's a very real chance that their longest play from their day two picks is a twelve yard carry in the fourth quarter against the Bengals. Okay, I strange think he had a seven pretty nice screen against the Colts in week yeah. six. Yeah, 17-yard catch. So 17-yard catch and a 12-yard run are the two biggest <laughs> from day two. Nonetheless, I thought I thought Tank looked – I'm not going to say good. Not I, I thought he looked better than he normally looks. Like, he, he forced three missed tackles, which, you know, per PFF, which – and you saw a couple of them. Like, you made one guy – I think it was actually Brown missing the hole. where You saw some glimpses of something – not enough to take back any of the correct things that we've said about the pick, but just in terms of his actual value as a player moving forward, you, you probably saw a little bit more this week than you have in past weeks, which, again, I know the Panthers are terrible, but knowing that the running game wasn't really there in general, I think that says something. I think they got all three running backs a carry on that first drive that they had. So, yeah. It, 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 it was obvious that they were trying. Like, that was their game plan. So, I, I don't want to say anything with the running game was fixed this week, but maybe it was good for Press Taylor, you know, just literally having a backup quarterback there. So, he had to run the ball. So, you know, he could see some of the things that can come off it. Because I agree that ETN run his touchdown, I thought was a direct result of sticking with the run. I also thought it was ETN's best run in the NFL. Like, I feel like we've seen a lot of those plays where – 
he'll make guys miss, you know, and then when he gets to the sideline, he'll maybe get forced out or he does he just he doesn't end up scoring. The fact that he kept kept his balance, you know, with a ton of contact with somehow a Panthers player like semi tackled Parker Washington. So he had to also <laughs> avoid Parker Washington on the sideline. Right. I thought it was his best run of his career. Like it, it was very fitting the week that Fred Taylor got his nod to the Hall of Fame. That was like the most Fred Taylor-like run that I think we've seen ETN have. Yeah, it's been cool to see all of the Fred Taylor highlights on the timeline since he was announced as a finalist for the Hall of Fame. I think I saw a stat that Tank had 32 rushing yards on Sunday, and 29 of them came after contact, just to back up what you said about how, I mean, this game, but really the whole season, he hasn't really had a lot of room to operate. Um, so it was definitely nice seeing him get double-digit double digit touches I'm continuing to be wrong on the tank tracker of guessing how how involved he will be but it was definitely a good sign to see him like getting involved because I almost think that like obviously the Jags want him to be a contributor for this year's team but he is a first-year player and still has still has his whole career in front of him and so I think kind of similar to how we were talking about like Ezra Cleveland is almost doing like a little bit of a tryout for the Jaguars for the rest of the season. Like it's almost a tryout for tank to know like whether the Jags can trust him to be like their true number two back going into next year, or if they're going to have to make yet another, some kind of uh, commitment to a running back, whether it's in the draft or signing a veteran. Cause I like, I'm, I'm all for signing a veteran, like a Deontay Foreman or a Zeke Elliott. Like um, even who's the guy on the bills right now, Latavius Murray, like, just like some vet guy for like four million bucks who you can like really trust to pick up two yards and like pick up a block on a blitz uh, and just like a one year contract just to get some kind of like trust in that room. But hopefully Tank will build up enough trust like through the rest of this season to be able to like really have his spot as RB2 rather than RB3 going into the next season. Would you bring back uh, Deirdre Johnson? Um, I mean, yeah, but to be more like for the same reason that he was brought in this year, which is to yeah. be more of a special teams player than back that running back. Because I'll, I'll like they're gonna either re-sign Dearness or sign like a veteran running back like Dearness to be essentially a special teams player. But I wouldn't mind seeing them sign someone like Deontay Foreman, who I think has bounced around the league for a few years, partly because he doesn't really. He's more of like a backup running back, and that's his role. Yeah. He really do a lot on special teams. I do think they need a pass blocker at the position for sure. Like right now, like the, that's Dearness's niche right now. Like he's by far the best pass protector. I mean, ETN, like like great run, had a brutal day in pass protection against the Panthers. He gave up one sack, another pressure on another one. Bigsby, I don't even think they trust to be on the field on a passing down right now so they yeah, definitely do yeah so they definitely do need like right now the is the pass pro guy they definitely do need to fill that role in the offseason Gus, i want you real quick to go ahead and open your twitter app and look at the video i say yeah I, the old bird app yeah it, it I, i'm not gonna call it I'm not gonna call it x um the uh what is it somebody had a like the end zone angle of etn's touchdown run Watch it and tell me he doesn't have the most hilarious running style in the NFL. <laughs> He's got that weird thing with his feet. I have no idea what it's called. We need, like, we need, we need some doctor to come in to tell us what's actually like. 
the way he I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, it does look like a duck, but like his, I, I, I don't even. Somebody said ETF runs like a duck, but that duck is fast as. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Know. Yeah, like, I don't when, when I'm watching it from that angle, I'm like, how is he outrunning anybody? <laughs> He's got this weird thing with his like feet, where he like instead of like planting his whole foot, he just plants like the inside of his feet, basically. Or something weird like that. I remember there was a when I was a, a student at Florida and going to basketball games. I forget who the player was. It was a big man who would like just like play on his tippy toes the entire game. Like I like I have never seen anything like it. But he was just always on his tippy toes, even when like nothing was happening during the game. And so Etienne has that weird athlete thing where like he just like kind of like moves. He literally moves differently than people. He, he he does. It's I I've always noticed it. I feel like a lot of people have, but it really became apparent when I when I saw that video. It in terms of the pass catchers from Sunday, I think Evan Ingram deserves a ton of credit for like regardless of how it happened, like in regardless of his usage, obviously the crazy first down stat that we talked about last week, a hundred catches for a tight end is a hundred catches. Like it, it it's impressive, you know. So especially for a guy who was knocked for his consistency as a pass catcher coming like into his tenure with the Jaguars after the Giants. To me, that's like the perfect way to kind of, you know, perfect full circle for him after leaving the Giants is, you know, he came to Jacksonville as a bust who people thought had drops issues. And now he's one of the most utilized tight ends <laughs> in NFL history. I thought he had a great game on Sunday. Like I'm, People got mad at me on Sunday for saying I thought the pass catchers were playing out of their mind. They were. I'm sorry, dude. He, they made some great catches. I thought some really aggressive catches on like his first first down. His I think it was their second longest pass play of the game. It was on third down where he took like a slant, like 20-something yards. Um, ETN had a really nice play in terms of yards after the catch. Ridley had, I think, his first yards after the catch since like October <laughs> on one play. <laughs> I thought like – it makes no sense. The the first game that they don't have their star quarterback, the pass catchers like elevate their game. And maybe they do that because they know they don't have the quarterback, but it, it's odd to see them do some of the things that they did when they weren't doing them, you know, the weeks before. But I thought in general, it was like just like looking strictly at the skill players. I thought it was one of their best games of the year. Like there was nobody like a, like no mistake from a skill player. I, I can really remember off the top of my head and they've had some glaring ones in the last couple of weeks. Now it probably helps that, you know, Tim Jones, Elijah cooks and Parker Washington saw like two targets all game for two yards. I believe. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't strange. And I think that's six targets for three yards among those four players. So it, it definitely helps that they weren't targeting those guys as much, but I thought the skill the pass catchers had an impressive game, which again against a really bad secondary. Shaq Griffin is somehow starting after getting there like two weeks ago. CJ Henderson was a healthy scratch. Were you moved at all by the pass catchers, or was it just a who cares kind of a kind of game from you? I wasn't that moved. Like, I, I definitely agree with you where I thought it was a nice game. Like, I feel like the biggest mistakes that came were the Parker Washington run uh, run blocking reps, including the ETN one, where he was just 
it's not it's not even his fault either. Like he's a pretty small guy, and they were asking him to like be like on the line blocking players. There was one play in the red zone. Go ahead. Did you see it in the video where he like gets thrown in front of ET and ET and has some <laughs> There was another run in the red zone. I think it was uh, like the Dearness Johnson carry on the first drive where Parker is like basically lined up as an inline tied end almost where he's just like, or he's a wide receiver, but like on the line of scrimmage. And he's asked to, I don't know what he's asked to do, but he's essentially ends up getting tasked with blocking two different Panthers defensive linemen. And it goes, not very well. So, like, that was, like, the only – and, that, like, that's something that, like, we can kind of, like, laugh at. And, again, it's, like, not really Parker Washington's fault because, like, he got, like, thrust into that role because of injuries to be expected to, like, handle the types of blocks that, like, they would want Zay Jones to make. So, I thought, like, Ridley definitely stepped up and had a fairly clean game. Agnew stepped up until he, unfortunately, uh, broke his ankle. Is that what the injury is? Uh, said, I think it's a broken leg. Uh- <laughs> Mark Long had the Jags beat two of the years. <laughs> Jamal Agnew is out for the season. Like uh, parentheses, broken bone. <laughs> <laughs> broken bone. <laughs> you, is that the tweet of 2024 or the tweet of 2023? I think that happened yesterday. So tweet of 24. Right. Tweet of 24. Yeah. So good, it, good early front runner. That, that's a legit loss for them right now, right? No, Agnew, because. He was like a black hole of the offense, like the first half of the season, where like he was turning it over at a crazy clip. That even dates back to last season, you know. But since he's come back, their two biggest plays through the air since he's been back are both to him. And two of the three biggest plays in general, it's, you know, his catch against the Ravens, ETN's run, and then his catch against the Panthers. I think just like with their lack of speed at receiver right now and with the injuries, I think he's a legitimate loss. And that doesn't even talk about the loss in special teams because it's clear him and Parker Washington are in like two different universes as returnmen. Yeah, we've talked before about how like Ag- Agnew provides a spark to the special teams, but he definitely provides a spark for special teams and the offense. And so similar to like going back to the well with ETN and just kind of like giving him touches – because he's got a play inside of him. Like, that's kind of the same thing with Agnew. And so it's definitely pretty tough that they lost one of their biggest playmakers, especially when, like, their best receiver in Christian Kirk is currently out right now. But where do you where do you see Kirk's timeline at? Uh, do you think he's got, like, do you think, like, we should even talk about him being able to play in Week 18? Or do you think it's a postseason discussion? Yeah. It feels crazy to think that he could play in Week 18, but I don't know, man. This is a team where it seems like they that kind of goes their way sometimes with anybody other than like Zay Jones this year. Like they're just <laughs> getting guys back at like a quick clip this year, you know. Like, right. They're getting guys back sooner, so I don't know. Let's let's table that for later in the week. We'll see if he is on the practice field this week if his window gets open tomorrow, etc. Because you do run the risk of opening a window, and then if you don't activate them in that 21-day period, they revert back to IR. Like Christian Braswell, he's on IR for the rest of the year because he didn't get activated off his 21-day window. 21 days came and went. He wasn't activated, so he's he's done. You know, you don't want that to happen to Kirk. I don't think so. Well, we'll when he does get activated, that will tell you that he's pretty close, maybe not. Sunday close, but relatively close. So 
it it would it'd be huge for them. Man, there's there's no doubt about that. It, it'd be huge, and he's obviously you know you see on social media he's a he's attacked rehab you know since he went down. I I think specifically so he could be back for like a late season kind of push. So I don't know. We'll see later in the week. Yeah, I think I think they'll be able to. They definitely could win at Tennessee without him, but I think there's no way they're able to reach the Super Bowl without him. So definitely be interested to see if slash when he's able to return. It maybe the results are different against the Browns and Ravens if he plays. I don't think the results are different versus the Buccaneers because the entire team was terrible. And the Bengals, they should have beat them regardless. Like that, that was a yeah. that was a defensive loss. That wasn't because they didn't have Christian Kirk. I think for the Ravens game, maybe that's fair. And like the Ravens defense is extremely legit. But like the Jags defense was actually doing a really good job against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens in that game. So like maybe if they had just like a little bit more juice on offense, they could have snuck a victory. But like against the Browns, like yeah, he would have been a positive impact and Maybe the Jags would be able to sneak out a win, but like I feel like the biggest issue in that game was like definitely their offense was an issue, but they let Joe Flacco put up over 30 points. And like Christian Kirk isn't going to do anything about that. So that's I fair. Th- I'm more looking at how disastrous of a game that was for Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley and how they didn't really have anybody else to get the ball to. But I, I can see that point as well. And hey, you know, maybe they beat Tennessee, they get another crack at Cleveland. Gus, you have anything else on the offense, my friend? No, I don't. I like. That was good. That was good. We'll be right back after this break. Talk about the defense. All right, Gus. We did it. We did it. We escaped the freezing cold takes. That is Bryce Young fans. Thank God. Honestly. I would have been fighting for my life online if Bryce Young had even a competent game. But thankfully for me, my mental health, all of my loved ones who worry about me every time I fight strangers online about (laughs) things that aren't anywhere near important. That didn't happen. Bryce Young looked absolutely terrible. He stinks, Gus. He stinks. Oh, man, it was rough. We were talking before this, and I said – I feel like Ritter was easily the worst quarterback that the Jags have faced this season. and Like, just didn't even look like an NFL quarterback. And then they've played Bryce Young. And, like, I just feel so bad, which maybe I shouldn't feel so bad, but <laughs> maybe it's just because, like, Bryce seems like a nice kid. And maybe he only seems like – like, I'm sure he actually is nice, but he maybe only seems super nice because of his height. But, like, he, he just seemed, like, hopeless back there. And it was, like – the type of hopeless where like it's on the quarterback, like obviously he was not drafted into a good environment whatsoever. But I remember during Trevor's rookie season, like he was the story of the season. I felt like was, he was like trying to see like what he could and couldn't get away with. And there was a lot of interceptions and just a lot of turnovers in general, but like you weren't really putting too much blame on Trevor or you shouldn't have because like the offense around him was brutal. And like, he was, just, like, trying to do anything he could to get a win. And, like, Bryce, like, like there was none of that. Even when they were losing, it's, like, you can't even, like, see, like, what where the ceiling is or, like, see, like, where he's trying to, like, get a win. It just it just looks bad all around. It's, like, that's not an NFL quarterback. 
Yeah, no. It, had a buddy who was in the end zone seats during the game. He said when the ball got snapped, you would lose him. Yeah. <laughs> the so back he was over in like the first or second drive of the game. I'm pretty sure it was the first. I saw Bryce Young jumping up and down multiple times to read Jacksonville's like defensive alignment from the pocket. Like so they were like lined up. He was in shotgun a couple a few seconds away from snapping the ball and just jumping up and down. I was like, this is so dumb. I like that's why I feel bad for him because it's it's just sad. And like you said, they Carolina had a decent ish first drive against the Jaguars. Like they, they get points out of it if their kicker like isn't hurt. But mm-hmm. still like I think his highest like air yards of like any of those passes like six yards in the first drive. The most impressive play was like on that fourth down where Thielen picked up 14, where Thielen just wasn't covered. And it was really only impressive because he got the ball out quickly against the blitz. Like I I feel like of the Jack quarterbacks the Jaguars have played this year and from SIS, the quarterbacks with the worst EPA per play is against the Jaguars this year. It goes Desmond Ritter, who Technically cost the Falcons 20 points <laughs> a game. That's that's absolutely insane. So it goes Ritter, then Bryce Young, then Gardner Minshew, then Kenny Pickett, then Joe Flacco. And I feel like that's pretty accurate, like for ranking in terms of the quality of quarterbacks that they faced this year. Like the like I know everybody is all in on, you know, Flacco being epic and you know, like stuff like that, but Objectively, he's one of the worst quarterbacks they've played this year, and Bryce was worse than him. I, just from my view on Sunday, I think he, he Desmond Ritter, I'd probably take Bryce Young over Kenny Pickett and Desmond Ritter, but that's probably about it out of the quarterbacks the Jags have played this year, which the Jags defense finally got back on track this week, but I do think things like a linebacker being the Panthers kicker to the Eddie Panera having a hamstring injury and – playing, you know, a – I don't want to call him a cosplay quarterback, but it, it's 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 nearing those levels. I think that has more to do with it than the Jaguars actually fixing anything. What Like, you would say that, right? Like, I didn't come away from that game thinking the Jaguars fixed any of their defensive issues. They were just facing an absolutely abhorrent offense. Yeah, I – I think that's mostly true. But, like, we also, like, just kept expecting a rebound for so many weeks. Obviously, they played Lamar Jackson in a really hot Ravens offense. But they played Jake Browning and Joe Flacco and Baker Mayfield. And even though those offenses are pretty well orchestrated, like, you, you think just be, because of the name, the Jackson would be able to take take advantage. And they really didn't at all. And, like, this is the first time that they, like, took advantage of a good opportunity in front of them. And I think it was – as you're saying, like mostly because of the opportunity and mostly because they were playing Bryce Young. But like I, I still saw like encouraging signs from like everywhere in the defense. I think like the linebacker play has been like the biggest swing in terms of like performances for the defense. Where like obviously I said this before, where like there's been injuries to the secondary and the defensive line groups, but like the whenever the linebackers play really poorly or really well, then like it feels like the whole defense kind of reflects that. And I thought the linebackers play well on Sunday. Devin Lloyd continues to get better, and then like perhaps more encouraging, more encouraging was uh, like 
players returning from injuries, especially Tyson Campbell, who looked really good. And then Andre Sisco too was uh, like rotating snaps with Andrew Wingard, but it was like part of a load management plan. And I mean, I think part of the reason like Bryce, Bryce Young was one for nine with an interception on passes over 10 yards downfield. And I think the, the main reason is that it's Bryce Young, but like uh, another reason is that Andre Sisco and Tyson Campbell looked a little bit more like they did to start the season. And so, again, I think it was more opportunity than anything else, but I, I was encouraged by a couple of specific performances. The Jags had the best defense in terms of EPA per play this week and the second best defense in terms of success rate, which considering where the Jaguars are at, like entering this week feels wild. I will say I thought the Jaguars would play the run better. Like they, they were like 14th in the EPA per play against the run, 17th in success rate against the run this week. They didn't give up a carry longer than seven yards, but it, it did feel like Trevor Hubbard, you know, averaged 4.1 yards per carry. Miles Sanders only got two carries of 10 yards. It did feel like the run defense was maybe a little more open than you would think in a rebound game. But the Panthers couldn't take advantage of it because their drop back passing game was terrible. Is that does that make sense? And the game obviously got away from them. I guess what my real point is that I feel like they got kind of lucky in a sense that they were playing such a bad passing game because this game did not make me think their run game issues were fixed. Though I would also say it felt like the Panthers went basically eleven personnel all game, which you know I've talked about on the show before. The Jaguars just aren't built to stop the run when they're in like their two, four, five look. Yeah. Um, sorry, hold on one sec. Can you? Yeah, you got balky ball, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Like he's coming. I I gotta blow, blow my nose real quick. Okay. Well, well, while Gus is gone, <laughs> the, that's the right. ultimate balky ball. No, the, <laughs> the ultimate balky ball is me remembering that we now have a pause button, but me. Not hitting yeah, it. That's there. why I was like, because that's happened before. Anyway, that's my bad. That, a question. That's my bad. I, I was I was mid take. I I I can't be expected to run run a show mid take. My question was, my take is the Jaguars defense got a little bit lucky drawing such a bad pass game this week because I did not come away thinking the run defense was fixed. I was still kind of done. I agree. I think, like, if you look at the box score for both the Jags offense and defense and, like, you think, oh, they had a pretty good day for run offense and run defense, but, like, really it was just that game script helped them out so much. And because they were winning the whole game, like, they were able to continue running and Carolina wasn't really able to continue running. But I'm right there with you where I was, like, a little bit underwhelmed by the run defense because I I was expecting them to be – really stout on first and second down against the run. And then Bryce Young would just be in hell on third and nine dropbacks the whole game. And then it turned out he was just in hell on third and five dropbacks the whole game. He's just, he's just in hell. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, again, the Jags forced six straight three and outs, which is just so crazy. And so, like, yeah, like their yeah. run game was a little bit underwhelming, but at the same time, like the run game wasn't bad. And they still kind of similar to like Press Taylor and the – Jacksonville's offensive coaching staff like kind of sort of getting credit for their run game like like they still got the job done on defense the, I, I looked at it those six straight three and outs the Panthers had a net gain of zero yards on those six drives that's crazy dude 
What are they doing? Like, what what are they doing there? Like, I I agree with you. I I do feel bad for Bryce Young because he doesn't seem like like a like a tool, like some yeah. other highly drafted quarterback bust who. I almost said something that might get me canceled. Who went to BYU in recent years? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't seem like a tool like that. So right. I, I do feel bad to him to that extent. But I, when you wa- just like watch like the Jaguars defense, just I think Ben Solak had the best tweet for it. He like tweeted out that he was like, they gave up 34 points against the Bengals, 31 points against the Browns, 23 points against the Ravens, 30 points against the Bucks. And then they shut out the Panthers. Like it, it just felt like to me it was very much more so a Panthers debacle than anything else. So I, I am holding my breath on the defense being back until they play a quarterback who's allowed to, you know, ride most roller coasters in the continental U.S. Though <laughs> I will, <laughs> I will say, I like one like cool kind of like. It's not even enough to be a subplot. It's like the subplot of a subplot has been Mike Caldwell's kind of evolution of the nickel position. You know, yeah, like, I forgot to I forgot to mention Antonio Johnson when I was going over like impressive individual performances earlier, but that's definitely one worth saying. And I, I thought you hit the nail on the head with yours. You know, I thought Tyson Campbell super physical game. He had a great rep on DJ Shark on the sideline. I saw Panthers fans killing. Um, Chark for not catching it. It was just a great play by Campbell. Campbell would have gave up a touchdown to Chark if Bryce Young, dude, like the play that Doug Peterson challenged that Chark didn't catch. Yeah. Like a good throw, a good throw, and that's a touchdown. You know, he doesn't have to dive. You're just leading him into the end zone. I thought that was the only negative play from Campbell. He was really physical. That tackle, like for loss that he had, like the, uh, it, it's it's been a funny thing to note, like. When Darius Williams is tackling, that's when you know the Jaguars are physical. <laughs> like that day, you know, like you can just tell, you know, what kind of day it is. I I think Caldwell is like his uses of the nickel position has been super interesting. Like he literally has a rundown nickel and a passing down nickel. How many defenses <laughs> do that, dude? It kicks ass. It kicks I ass. Any off the top of my head, I don't know. Yeah, so he's it. I think Trey Herndon – so Antonio Johnson played like all but 17 snaps. Trey Herndon played 16 snaps. So it's very easy to see who was on the field when Antonio Johnson wasn't. Antonio Johnson was, was playing, you know, the early downs, the base downs, first and second. And then you'd see Trey Herndon rotate with him on third and fourth down. I think it's a brilliant plan by Caldwell because it's a way to – get a playmaker on the field because yeah, context is needed for Antonio Johnson's three takeaways. One came on a Hail Mary at the end of a game and one came on a tipped overthrown pass, but plays a place, you know, like that and just the residual effect like that they have across the defense. A turnover is a turnover. You know, I'm not gonna nitpick how a guy gets it. So I think it's a great way for Caldwell to get a playmaker and a young guy who needs more snaps on the field while also playing to their strengths and weaknesses because, I mean, it's clear right now that and Johnson, you know, really good blitzer, really good tackler. I think he has one missed tackle all season, is really good on those early downs. But when you get the third down, it's clear that you need a guy to win and like one-on-one coverage. 
Herndon's probably a best bet right now. Like he's he's just a better fit against slot receivers than Johnson. I still think Johnson's a safety who right now is playing at the slot. Yeah. I've been really impressed by how Caldwell's used those two. Yeah. <laughs> For your Herndon coverage point, there was a play where Amir Smith Marset created like six yards of separation against Johnson on an out route when it was like Johnson was guarding him from the slot man on man coverage. And like I didn't even know Amir Smith Marset was on the Panthers currently until that play. But it is definitely seems like a good plan so far. And I think like not just getting a playmaker on the field, but getting an athlete on the field is like kind of like the way they're doing it. Because I remember when Devin Lloyd and Trayvon Walker were both drafted last year, there was a lot of talk about how Mike Caldwell, because it was also going into the first year of Mike Caldwell's defense, the first mm-hmm. defense he would ever coordinate. So there was a lot of talk about how maybe his vision was kind of like a positionless sport, uh, like kind of like in basketball where you see like um, different defenders being able to guard like anywhere from one to four or one to five, as in like point guard to power forward or point guard to center. Um, And like, so like having Trayvon Walker who can line up at outside linebacker or anywhere on the line, hypothetically. And then like Devin Lloyd, who could, who's like an off ball linebacker, but could also hypothetically like, rush from anywhere online and now you're adding in another athlete who can play coverage he can fit the run he can blitz off the edge and like I feel like it's kind of the biggest difference between him and Rayshon who he might be replacing as a starter next season is that like you can definitely tell the like see the energy and the physicality that Rayshon brings but then like like he's just going to lose a decent amount of foot races because of just his age and athleticism and so, like, having having kind of, like, a splash of youth and a splash of athleticism in Antonio Johnson, I think, has propelled the defense a little bit. And uh, just having Johnson's, like, frame and length out there, too, I think in the slots, like, it can lead to, I think, eventual, like, turnovers, tip passes and stuff. Like, it looks like a like a vulture <laughs> out there, you know? Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't see slots built like him, so. Wait, so uh, he's tall as crap. It's crazy. He is, he's tall. He's tall. He's walking around the locker room. I like forget who he is because I'm like that's not safety that's like some guy I haven't seen before. Yeah, he, he's I think he's listed six two, but he's basically six three. He's really long. He, I, I think it's just it's a sign of good coaching that they're figuring out how to get both guys on the field because some coaching staffs they could have just said no, we're putting the rookie on the field. He's going to sink or swim, probably take his lumps. And some coaching staffs would have said no. We're going to keep the veteran on the field. The rookie's only going to play when there are injuries. I think they found a good way to marry both and, you know, ensure both are on the field. I, I think it's been a really good mix so far. And, and also, I don't know, I'm probably biased because I still feel like I'm right in saying that he's not a slot when they're literally taking him off the field and passing down. <laughs> it just feels like they, they know he has to be on the field in some capacity. I also wonder if it's like, maybe I'm like leaning too much into like this tryout bit, but like, similar to Ezra, similar to Tank. Like, he's getting snaps on the field now, mostly to try to win games this season. But, like, I think it's also partly to see, like, what he can bring next season and how he can kind of fit into what their future looks like. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd be remiss if we went this podcast without talking about Josh and Trayvon. Six-sack performance against a bad Falcons offense line, obviously, but five sacks from Josh Allen. And Trayvon, Josh with three. Trayvon was his first two-sack game of his career. 
They now, I think, have the most sacks of any edge duo in the NFL, while they also have the highest sack percentage, like percentage of their team sacks. It's like, it's so funny when you look at their sack list. It's like Josh Allen, 16 and a half, Trayvon Nye, or Robson Harris, three and a half. It's, it, 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 their pass rush just literally them and then me and Gene Fournette in the middle. You know? it's, it's, so, I think a lot of credit, obviously, to those two guys. Josh Allen, I I don't think he has a, a prayer to win Defensive Player of the Year, even with a big game against the Titans in Week 18. Like, you look at a lot of, like, odds makers, like, bet online. He's not even on the board with them. Max Crosby is, is above the board with them. So, it just feels like it's going to be uh, Micah Parsons or Miles Garrett or a much worse T.J. Watt award this year. But Josh Allen breaking the sack record. Me personally, like this is going to be a little bit of a standing on a soapbox. Like I've said before, I, I could care less like the results of you know Jags games. I'm going to be here regardless. I'm going to be firing takes off regardless. I'm going to be arguing my ass off on Twitter regardless. But I like seeing good things happen to good people. And since I started covering the Jaguars in 2019, Josh's rookie year. There has not, in my opinion, been a better Jaguar over the last five years. Like a guy who just you build the franchise around. He can be, you know, one of the faces of your franchise. It's actually important to him. Like, like Jalen Ramsey is the most talented player I've ever covered, but he he doesn't care about the franchise he's playing for. You know, like he he's a mercenary. I think Josh Allen cares about being a Jaguar. And when you see good things, I, I remember the offseason when people were flipping out that he wasn't at man like uh, voluntary workouts and it, it had nothing to do with money or anything he just he thought his workout plan and his plan for the offseason would be more advantageous to his goals than being at voluntary workouts and ends up breaking the sack record so he was obviously on to something right he's had the best season all time of any jaguars pass rusher and just for me like personally i don't think it could have happened to a better player so it was a cool moment I thought when he broke that record, just the fact that it happened at home, seeing how genuinely happy the locker room was for him and seeing how the fans kind of embraced it. I thought it said volumes about uh, Josh Allen, the person, as well as the player, obviously. Yeah, I thought there was like a billion cool mini moments that came out of that one big moment, too. Like it was definitely really cool seeing how after the sack happened. Obviously, his teammates all kind of like swarmed around him and to congratulate him. But then there was a standing ovation in the crowd too, which is like it's it's really cool to like be in the press box for big plays and to see like like a running back like break uh, break a crease and like have daylight to a touchdown. And then seeing like all the hands in the stadium go up is always like probably the coolest part to me of just like covering the team in general uh, or it's just maybe not covering the team in general, but of being up in the press box. Like I love seeing the crowd reaction for big plays for the home team. And so like, it was really cool seeing the home crowd react the way they did to, I mean, obviously like it was a play that was made on the field, but they weren't cheering like for that sack. They were cheering for all the sacks and all the things that Josh Allen has brought. And so like, I thought also, obviously like it was really cool that he did his sack celebration and then Calais Campbell's home run sack celebration right after. And then he said after the game that he like hopes someone else breaks his record eventually. And cause that's what records are meant for, which is the correct answer. But he also went on to say like, 
he expects Trayvon Walker to break his record, which was just kind of a cool note. And then the last thing I'll say is that I think I've said before how incredibly, incredibly cool it is that Trevor Lawrence reps as much Jaguars gear and Lafarve gear and really just ja- like his own team's gear in general, because like you rarely see like a superstar player, like rep his team's colors or logo as much as Trevor does. And then Josh Allen, when he came out uh, after the game, like the post-game press conference, talked to media, he was wearing a hat and a t-shirt or a hat and a sweater with like two different local charities on them. And I thought that was just really cool. Yeah. it Funny tidbit from the game. I was going through uh, pictures on uh, the picture service we have. And one of our beloved elderly uh, writers in the press group saw the pictures and he was looking for Josh Allen doing the Kalea celebration. He saw a picture of Josh doing the, have you seen love doesn't cost love don't cost a thing with Nick Cannon, that movie? No. Well, that dance that they go like, from that's from like that movie it's a movie from the 2000s with Nick Cannon and he sees a picture of him doing that and he was like oh was that the Calais celebration (laughs) no no it was not (laughs) yeah it was was a good bit it was a good bit I I thought it said a lot that Josh in his post game like comments though went out of his way to thank his teammates how he said Trayvon would break the record and then you know on the Trayvon nine sacks Five and a half sacks, I think, in his last, I want to say, seven games. Like, he has, I think, only one game in that span where he doesn't have at least half a sack. I do think, like, some context is needed. He's definitely, I think, benefiting from, like, partially luck and partially being an effort player. You know, like, against the Panthers, he had two sacks, but he had three pressures. So, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to like nail him for it because I think last year he wasn't getting sacks or pressures, you know, this yeah. year the pressure is still on there, but he's at the very least generating more impact plays than he did a year ago, you know? So I think definitely a step forward taken nine sacks. That's the 12th most in a season in Jaguars franchise history. That's our, yeah. Uh, yeah. I like yesterday. Yeah. Josh is one of two. Josh is one of three players to ever have like t- double digit sacks, like, multiple double-digit sack seasons is him, Coleus, and Tony Bracken. So those are the top six. And then you have Jan, I think, had 12 sacks one year. Uh, Malik Jackson never had nine sacks. Dante Fowler never had nine sacks. And, you know, Chris Clemens had, like, eight sacks in back-to-back years somehow. He never had nine sacks. And Derek Marks never had nine sacks. So I think getting nine sacks is legitimately something worth praising, you know, regardless of whether he hits double digits against the Titans or not. He's still not there as a pass rusher, I think, like per PFF. He, he, out of 125 pass rushers with at least 100 rushes, he's 84th in win rate right now. So I don't, I don't want to say he's turned a corner, but he's making more plays than he did a year ago. And that's, that, that's what they need. You know, that, that's, that's literally just what Josh Allen needs right now is somebody other than him who's capable of making a play. So I'm not gonna like slam Aiden Hutchinson fans despite him having the cringiest sack celebration in NFL history. He's still pass rush moves are cringy. Just everything about his game is cringy. His dad calling him Hutch is it's cringy. <laughs> uh, all of that. Yeah. So I'm not gonna 
put, step into the Walker versus Hutchinson battle. But I will say nine sacks in year two for a guy who was deemed a project when you picked him. Not a, I don't, I'm not going to say he's there yet. Like that's my personal stance. He isn't like, he hasn't made the leap yet, but he's at least improved, you know, in a sense from a year ago in terms of the amount of plays that he's making. Yeah. I think the way that you put it last week or the week before was that he hasn't taken a leap, but he has taken a step. And so that's so nice to see. Probably the same goes for like Devin Lloyd too, where like neither of them are playing like, uh, borderline pro bowlers or like maybe how you would really hope that players selected in the first round would look in their second year, but they're taking steps. They're definitely going in the right direction. And I feel like, like the whole Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker are like leading the league in sacks for a pass rush duo is like a pretty good sentiment for Josh Allen's defensive player of the year case where like he's doing like, it's a one man show and he's doing kind of everything by himself where he is getting some help from Trayvon, but as you're saying, a lot of Trayvon's production, specifically in sacks, is like a lot of like effort stuff and like cleaning stuff up. And like I feel like Josh Allen might have as many total pressures as the rest of the team combined. And so, I mean, like Miles Garrett was kind of like doing it by himself in Cleveland forever and never won a Defensive Player of the Year. And now that he's actually like gotten more help around him this year, he's probably going to get the award. And so like no one's going to give it to Josh just for being a one-man show and, like, lifting up the defense with him. But that's kind of been, like, the story of the season, I feel like, for that side of the ball. I'm, I'm going to look at that now. <laughs> I'm not going to count any defensive backs and stuff. Like, Antonio Johnson, I think, had three pressures against the Panthers, but they were all on blitzes and stuff. Okay. Josh Allen. Okay, you're already wrong, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Quicker than usual. All right. Josh Allen has 88 pressures this year per PFF. And see, and everybody else has like Trayvon and Roy together have 97, but 88 versus do 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 we got to bring back those massive, like, bulking calculators that we used in middle school and high school. Okay, so Josh Allen has 88 pressures. The rest of the Jaguars' front has 185. So I was close. Okay, do quarterback knockdowns instead. Do what? Quarterback knockdowns. Damn you, Gus. No, no, no. <laughs> Come on, easy. What do you mean knockdowns? Like what? What? What constitutes as a knockdown? What? What side are you on right now? Like PFF? PFF, yeah, and they count half sacks as a full sack, so it looks weird. Okay, do do quarterback hits then if they don't have knockdowns? I feel like, I think you hit a knockdown is the same thing. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Technically, for the record, Josh Allen has thirty-two point two three percent of their pressures this year. Hmm. Okay, so you said quarterback hits? Yes. Okay. Well, he has double what Trayvon has. Okay. Let me see if I can do some research, too, because I think Pro Football Reference has knockdowns, knockdowns. Okay. So he has – Josh Allen has 16 quarterback hits, and the rest of the front seven – or the rest of the defensive linemen and edge players have 48. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) 
Um, advanced defense. I think he has 25% of the quarterback heads, which is bonkers. Right, yeah, Josh Allen has 12 knockdowns, and the rest of the team has – I hate that. I hate knockdowns. I hate what the hell is a knockdown? I hate that. I hate that. A knockdown is when like a quarterback is on the ground. Like you get a quarterback so on a quarterback the ground. Which is but like you could you could like shove a quarterback and hit him after he lets go of the ball and like he's not he's not on the ground, you know. It, is it a more impressive pressure if you land on him? <laughs> I don't know, probably not necessarily, but I, like I think quarterback hits is like probably the best stat because like people can like rack up because like a couple of years ago I think everyone kind of accepted that like oh sacks can be a little bit fluky and like pressures is a good way to judge like just total pass rush productivity like with pr- with pressures like you can like I think get like a lot more of just like effort stats sort of and so I think quarterback hits is a good in between where it's like provides enough yeah. context context that you're yeah. not just oh look Trayvon Walker had nine sacks he's been having an awesome season but then yeah like the hits are good in between okay I've like had this exact same conversation before yeah no we, we have I, I see the vision <laughs> and that's my thing is I'm not as moved by Trayvon's nine sacks as Jags fans mm-hmm. but I'm also not willing to completely discredit them you know what I'm saying because yeah, right on the tippy top of the fence I hear you well, he, he could have three and a half sacks. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I think it's, I, just like, I, it, it's definitely cool that, like, Jacksonville's top two pass rushers are technically leading the league in sacks. But, like, I feel like everyone kind of knows that's – like, that doesn't mean that they're, two, the, that they're the best pass rush do in the league. Like, they're probably, like, the seventh best maybe. I, I'll, I'll say my official stance is pressures are predictive while sacks are not. You know, and that's my thing. I won't, I won't look at Trayvon's sack production this year and think it's predictive for a breakout next year because I don't think the consistent pass rushing results are there on a snap-to-snap basis yet. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think the real lesson, though, is that you can use whatever stat you want as long as it fits your narrative because, like, I, I am just thinking about, like, agent versus uh, general manager discussions in terms of, like, making contracts because, like, like say like Trayvon was up for an extension like in the or like say Trayvon was like in a contract year right now then like his agent would be like look nine sacks in the second year like that's comparable to like this Pro Bowl player this All Pro player all these great guys that got nine sacks in their second year but then like the general manager could be like eh, I don't know but he only had this many pressures so the counterpoint the general manager is Trent Bulky. <laughs> you think he doesn't already know all the names that Trayvon has as many sacks has? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you right now which boat the Jaguars general manager sits in in terms of how impressive this Trayvon season is. And, uh, and I'm saying like he's going to twist – he's going to like use sacks for his argument because uh, like he, he – so Balky specifically is saying like my number one overall pick is a good player. So he would use uh, sacks. Like, he probably wants to shoot. Yeah. Yeah, Since we're trying to analyze the team and actually provide context. That's where we're having this 20-minute discussion of knockdowns. That's right. Hit. That's right. On that note, Gus, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to hand out our game balls and any residual hot takes. So we'll be right back after this break. 
All right, Gus. Game balls. Hot takes. Yeah. I'm going to start us off. Offensive game ball. Evan Ingram. I, mm. I, 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 I thought he had one of his best games of the season. Tough catches. Tough yards after the catch. Made tough catches in high leverage situations, like multiple third downs, I believe a fourth down. 100 catch season up there with seven other of the best tight ends to ever play the game. Evan Ingram, here's your game ball. I'm sure it'll go right in the trophy case next to your 100th catch. <laughs> I wonder if he ever got that 100th game ball because we were, there was like conversations in the locker room after, like he, he, he cared mostly about the jersey that he wore during the game, but he didn't secure or at, as of an hour after the game, he hadn't secured secure the specific ball that he got up they, to 100 matches with. They, they knew how to get it to him, but I said this is somebody after the game. I was like, if they just gave him any ball, <laughs> would anybody know? No. That's what they yeah. should do, honestly. Just be like, I, I like looked really hard for this. Here's here's the game ball. Yeah. Or here's the ball. Like no yeah. no one would ever know the difference. Yeah. You could like go back and like check the tape and see like which ball it was, but like there's no way to actually know. I do think that's one of the coolest things in the NFL though. When they give out game balls, they literally will like put them in production and like put the players' names and the score and the date on them and give it back to them. It's it's pretty cool. I uh Offensive game ball, though. Who you got? I got Travis Etienne. Uh, he did not reach 100 catches on the season, but his 62-yard touchdown run got him to 2,000 career rushing yards, which makes him the sixth running back in franchise history to do so, besides after Fred Taylor, MJD, Leonard Fournette, James Robinson. And then there's one other. There's some random guy I've never even heard of, I feel like, who played – from like 95 to 99. Do you know who it is off the top of your head? For just like Jaguars all time rushing leaders. Uh, James Stewart. There Does that name ring a bell? So James Stewart had almost good old Jimmy out. Stewart. Yeah, like I was like two when he played, yeah. but the name rings a bell. Yeah. So I mean, 2,000 yards is, like, not historic or anything, but he got to 2,000 yards. He scored two touchdowns. I feel like this is the first game since before the bye where before the bye, like, anyone you would ask would say, Travis Etienne is putting the offense on his back, and he, he did that again on Sunday. And so I thought it was a much-needed performance from him specifically. It, it was one of just seven running back seasons in Jaguars franchise history with double-digit Rushing touchdowns. First guy since MJD did it in 2009. MJD did it three times, which is crazy. 06, 08, and 09. Fred Taylor did it twice in 2000 and 1998. And then James Stewart had 13 touchdowns in 1999. So ETN passed Stacy Mack, Natron Means, MJD, Stacy Mack again, and <laughs> Leonard Fournette came into the game with nine touchdowns, passed all of them. It, I mean, just obviously, like, if you look at those seven seasons, he's had, like, the least impressive of the seasons in terms of, like, an efficiency basis. But 11 rushing touchdowns is 11 rushing touchdowns, especially compared to last year where he just didn't find the end zone very often. So I'm, I'm with you. Give him some touchdowns are, in fact, good. Yeah. yeah. Many are <laughs> – <many>, actually, 
<laughs> pushing my glasses off. Well, actually, actually. I, it, it, it was a good bit that Twitter ate itself alive over Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson as MVP candidates just for Lamar to come out and completely spaz and for Josh Allen to play like the golden retriever. He really <laughs> is. It, it was a good bit. Lamar Jackson, two-time MVP, NFL Hall of Famer one day mm. is what it is. Defense, no. game ball. I'll let you go ahead. So you can go ahead and do the easy one. Yeah, you can go ahead and do the easy one. Go ahead. Come on. Let's I, thought, I thought you letting me go first meant that I was about to give the wrong answer, but I feel like there's only one answer, and it's Josh Allen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Trayvon, two sacks. Very impressive. Darius Williams, one catch allowed on four targets for negative four yards. Hilarious stat line, but it, it, it's got to be 41. Yeah. I think the only other player I was considering giving it to was Antonio Johnson for the classic Gus Logue. You saw the field. Here's a game ball. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's Josh Allen. We're we're past. We're past that point with him. That that game ball would have been warranted a few weeks ago. You can give that one now to like Tyler Lacey or maybe Jacob Harris this week. Maybe Caleb on chase on for all the years of sacrifice since there won't be many left in town. Yeah. So special teams game ball. It's game ball. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm going to go Caleb Johnson for getting a horse collar tackle on a play where he didn't even touch the horse collar. <laughs> Dude has a ghost hand. That's a beautiful thing about football games is that there's always so many like small weird things that happen that you forget about. Also, the Panthers linebacker who did a kickoff—that that was pretty funny. Yeah, no, that's that—that's the real game ball right there. I'm going with Brandon McManus though, just because I think like confidence is such a big thing for all athletes, but probably especially kickers. And so, even though all of his field goals were less than 35 yards, maybe even less than 30 yards, I feel like all of them were just chip shots from pretty much the 10 yard line. But he did go three for three, and so. I think that was an encouraging mm. sign. Four for four, excuse mm-hmm. me. Four mm-hmm. for four. Uh, so, yeah, it was nice that he didn't miss any kicks. Similar to, like, CJ Beathard, where it's like, good job, you didn't mess up. Like, that's the same thing for McManus. He had a 35-yard field goal, followed by a 26-yard field goal, a 24-yard field goal, and then a 34-yard field goal. So, all four 35 yards ashore. Yeah, I'm I'm not like that upset about the Jaguars not doing that great in the red zone because like yeah, obviously like you want to score more than one touchdown in five red zone trips when we get to the postseason. But like for just this game and like the way that it was such like a get right game for the Jaguars, I think the fact that they just like still came away with points in every red zone trip, like you can call it a success that way. Good point. Good point. Gus. You got any hot takes to send us out, my friend? Yeah, I I have one revision. Uh, a few months ago, I came on here and said that Justin Fields should be traded to the Falcons, and in Atlanta, he would lead the Falcons to a playoff berth next season. But I'm altering that, and I still think overall the take is that Justin Fields will lead his new team next season to a playoff berth. But now I want it to be in Miami. I think the Dolphins should trade 
a second round pick to the Bears. They have like the two fastest receivers in the league. They got the two fastest running backs in the league. Why not get the fastest quarterback in the league? I hate you. I was literally going to say trade Tua for a ham sandwich and trade for Justin Fields if you're Miami. Neither one of them uses their eyes. <laughs> so might as well get the one who's built like a tank. <laughs> Run 40 and a 4-5. Yeah, like I remember Justin Fields, like there was a bunch of smoke or whatever you want to call it coming out of Chicago because he was asked a question after a loss and he like kind of sort of put blame, a lot of blame on coaches. And he was like, I'm thinking too much and I got to go out there and just play similar to the Josh Allen comments earlier or that I mentioned earlier about playing free. And so like the uh, Mike McDaniel slash Kyle Shanahan offense is like the place to be. If you don't want to think as a quarterback, it's like, here's a really, really good skilled wide receiver going across the middle of the field. And you're going to huck that thing no matter what. And then like get him going on like zone reads with Raheem Moster and uh, what's the running back, the rookie's name. A chain. Change, change. Yeah. yeah, line me up. I, Mike McDaniel was clearly in his early Sean McVay era when he was saddled with Jared Goff because he had to be where he will find true enlightenment and happiness when he finds his Matt Stafford. So yeah. I, I think I, uh, the Dolphins are like in a similar like win now sort of mode as the Rams were in because like they made a big trade for Tyreek. They made a big trade for Jalen. Like those two players are like towards the end of their prime. And then they've got Vic Fangio according to the defense. And like he's a coach, so maybe he'll stick around for a long time. But he is barely up there in age, so maybe he won't. Uh, And so I I think like just especially with like Tyreek, being towards the end of his career, like the Dolphins can't sit on their hands and like yeah. just keep playing Tua. Like I don't think Tua's terrible, but he's like, fine. As, as you said, it's like the same thing with McVay and Goff. Like they're gonna get to a point, whether it's this season or maybe even next season, where they're like, we've got just like a spe- absolutely capped ceiling with our current quarterback, and we need to do better. And it took the Rams losing the Super Bowl, you know, for for that to happen. I'm with you, like. Two is fine, but I, I I think enough is enough. Like people can stop trying to shoehorn him into those like top quarterback talks after the Ravens debacle that they had. Like he's fine. He's Mike Mike McDaniel's playing quarterback for them by yeah. all intents and purposes. You know, yeah. For me, I, I I don't think two has made a decision on the football field since Brian Flores <laughs> was the coach. So um, I'm with you. I, I'll also change my MVP pick. I said it was CMC, then Lamar slash Allen. I think Lamar has jumped both of them. He's got to be MVP, I think. Ravens is scary, man. They, the Ravens have put both Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel in a locker, and they have the MVP at quarterback there. And does it say something that the Jaguars played the Ravens better than the Dolphins and 49ers did? Does it say something that the Jaguars played Lamar Jackson worse than they played Joe Flacco and Jake Browning? It's the NFL. Nothing makes sense. Everything is week to week, and, like, it's so right. random. Nothing makes sense. I, I will say, so say the Jaguars win the AFC South. They, I think it'd be a lock that they would play the Browns. Yeah. That, yeah. So I think the be- Browns are – Officially, the five seed. I don't think like I think the Browns are the five seed, regardless okay. of this weekend. So it'd be the Jags versus the Browns, 
the winner of Miami Buffalo versus either like the Texans, Colts, or the Steelers, and then Kansas City versus uh, the loser of Miami and Buffalo, I believe. So, I don't know. There's a chance the Jags could see the Ravens in two weeks in Baltimore. So, I'd, that'd be an interesting game. But we'll get into all the playoff implications, etc. When we are back on Friday, Gus, you got anything else for me, my friend? Last take. I'd rather have Gardner Minshew for the rest of his career than Bryce Young. And I've, <laughs> I've spewed hatred towards Gardner Minshew for the past – since he was starting in Jacksonville. I'm all the way out on Bryce Young. Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> I thought of it earlier. And then, like, you were talking, so I, like, forgot to say it. But I'm saying it now. We talked about Bryce Young 45 minutes ago. This is the hot take part of the show. I, I want people got to people got to watch the whole thing. This is the so, You're officially planning your flag on over the next X amount of years. You would take Gardner Minshew over Bryce Young. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm after watching Bryce in person. I'm I've, now that I've seen both quarterbacks in person, but especially after watching Bryce last weekend, I'm feel pretty good about that one. Permission to clip that. Permission to clip. All right. Thank you. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you guys for listening to episode 83 of the Jaguar Report podcast. 83 episodes, guys. Who would have thought? 83. 83. Who, Who would have thought? thought? No. We'll be back on Friday to preview Jaguars versus the Tennessee Titans. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. And don't forget the bulky ball entering the new year.